If you've attended our church for any length of time, you know that I have a few favorite verses of Scripture, a few favorite Bible passages. Uh, probably my most favorite is John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I also love Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And you know, it used to be in America that it seemed that John 3.16 might have been the most popular Bible verse. But there's another verse that has supplanted John 3.16 as the most quoted verse of people in our culture. It is Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Judge not, lest you be judged. Has anybody ever said that to you? Judge not. Because Often people will come back at you whenever you call out a sin or whenever you express an opinion. They will say to you, don't judge me. Don't judge me, bro. Who are you to judge me? I remember having a conversation with someone uh, who was in a lifestyle that was destructive to their marriage. And uh, they were... They were surrounded by family and friends who were trying to help them and say, listen, you can't keep going down this road. This is dangerous. And I remember the person reacting in such anger saying, don't judge me. And often we throw that out there as a way to silence people. And we think that we're quoting Jesus, but we're actually misquoting Jesus because we're not taking into account the full context of what he meant when he said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, judge not or you will be judged. And that's what I want to talk about today. What does it mean to live up to Jesus' prohibition to judge not lest you be judged? Judge not that you not be judged. What does that mean? Well, sometimes it's easier to figure out what it doesn't mean. And some people over the, the centuries have said, well, Jesus maybe was prohibiting um, the judiciary of governments, that there should be no law courts and there should be no judges in those law courts. But that's certainly not what Jesus was talking about. Jesus was not talking about some legal issue. As a matter of fact, the scriptures in Romans chapter 13 tell us that God is the one who gave human government in order to protect the good and to punish the evil. So judge not can't be, there should be no law courts. Neither does judge not mean you can't have an opinion about something. We all have opinions, we all have feelings, we all have uh, perspectives on issues or questions of our day, and Jesus is not prohibiting you from having or expressing an opinion. And neither is Jesus forbidding us from calling out someone else's sin. That's typically how people will use this verse out of context. Hey, don't judge me. It's usually because you've called out something in their life that they know is wrong or is questionable. And they don't want to be judged. But we know that certainly can't be what Jesus meant. He's not prohibiting calling out sinful behavior. As a matter of fact, in the same gospel, Matthew chapter 18, Jesus goes to great lengths to talk about how to handle it when a person has sinned against you. He says you need to go and confront them about their sin. If you need to take a witness or two with you, you take some people with you to deal with this sin in this person's life in order to restore the relationship. And if it's bad enough, you take it to the church and let the church handle it. So Jesus says there's a time and there's a place to call out sin and to deal with it. So what, is the, what does it mean then when he says, judge not, that you not be judged? Well, you've got to remember the context 
of which Jesus is giving the Sermon on the Mount. He's giving this sermon to his disciples, the people who have agreed to trust him and learn from him and live for him and live like him. But he's also got a larger audience around him, including some religious people of Jesus' day called the scribes and the Pharisees. These religious leaders, especially the Pharisees, were looking down on other people for the minute sins of other people's lives, all the while ignoring the massive sins of their own lives and the attitude and the hypocrisy of their own lives. They were looking down and judging and condemning people, all the while excusing their own sinfulness. So Jesus is dealing with hypocrisy. That is the context of Jesus' statement about judgment. It is hypocritical for you to point out the sin in someone else's life if you're not willing to deal with the sin in your own life. Jesus is condemning this sense of judging someone negatively in order to condemn them. Jesus is using a word that says you look at someone and you stamp a judgment on them and it's final and it's not motivated out of love, it's motivated out of hate. It's not motivated out of honesty, it's motivated out of hypocrisy. Your judgment against that person is not out of concern for them, it's out of condemnation of them. And all the while you're condemning them, you are excusing yourself for the same or worse sins. That's the kind of judgment Jesus is warning us against. Jesus condemns hypocritical judgmentalism. People who walk around with a chip on their shoulder as if they are better than other people. And they think that they are in a position to judge other people for their sins while their own sins go unaddressed and excused. You see, whenever you sin against me, I'm going to condemn you. But when I sin against you, I had my reasons. Well, if you understood the kind of family I grew up in, If you understood the kind of bad day I've just had. Well, if you understood that, yeah, maybe what I did was wrong, but what you do is worse. Then I have set myself up as a hypocritical, condemning judge. And sadly, too many followers, professed followers of Jesus, have fallen into the trap of judgmentalism. One of the things that you'll hear often people who are outside the church say the reason they're not a part of a church is because of the judgmentalism and the hypocrisy that they see and experience in the lives of other Christians. So Jesus wants to deal with that. And if we're going to understand what he meant, we have to understand the whole context. So with that said, why don't we look at it again? Go back to Matthew chapter 7. This is the Sermon on the Mount. And in verse 1, we just read it. Jesus said, judge not that you Be not judged. Jesus is saying, hey, before you judge, you need to understand what's at stake here. Judge not, lest you be judged. You need to understand, Jesus says, what goes around comes around. And if you want to set yourself up as judge, you are also setting yourself up as one who will be judged. And Jesus is saying, I know that there are people in this audience who are judging harshly and critically other people for the sins they see in 
those other people's lives while they hypocritically ignore the sin in their own lives. But you need to understand, if you're going to put yourself in that position to judge, you're going to also put yourself in the position to be judged. And Jesus understands that this whole spirit of judgmentalism lacks humility and honesty and mercy. Because if you understand, it's not just those people who are sinners. We are all sinners. You won't be as quick to harshly judge another person and condemn them and write them off and throw them away. And that's what the religious leaders of Jesus' day were doing. It wasn't that they were lovingly confronting people for their sinful behavior because they wanted the best for them. No, they were choosing people to judge them in order to feel morally and spiritually superior to them. By the way, that's why we sometimes judge other people. We judge other people because if we can condemn them, it makes me feel better about myself. Sometimes we judge other people because we don't like what we see in their life and we think we're better than they are. Other times we judge people, let's just be honest, because what we see in their life, we also know is in our life. And our passive-aggressive behavior condemns them when we know full well we are guilty of the same thing or even worse. And so Jesus says, you better be careful before you judge. Because if you judge, you will also be judged. Judge not that ye be not. I'm sorry, the King James came out. Judge not that you be not judged. Look at verse 2. Jesus says, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Remember, Jesus had already begun his sermon on the mount with the Beatitudes. And one of the Beatitudes, blessed are those who are merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Merciful people, people who are in a position to show patience and love and grace and forgiveness are people who are also in a position to receive that back, not only from other people, but from God himself. Jesus has already, well, will warn in Matthew chapter 7 or back in chapter 6 that if we're not willing to forgive other people of their sin, how can we expect God to forgive us of ours? So that's why Jesus is saying here in verse 2, you better be slow to judge because with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. It's going to come back on you. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. You have a little grace for other people, then you're going to get a little grace from God. You have a little patience, you're going to get a little patience. So you better be careful before you put yourself up as a judge. But some people find it hard to admit that not only do other people need mercy and grace and love, and patience, and forgiveness, they find it hard to admit that they themselves need it. They think they're better than other people. Yeah, you may need mercy, but I don't. I'm good. I'm righteous. But before a holy God, the Bible says even our best deeds are like filthy rags. On our best day, we are still sinful, flawed people. Jesus would later tell a parable that illustrates the kind of hypocritical judgmentalism that he is condemning. We read it in Luke chapter 18, verses 10 through 14. This is the parable Jesus gave. Two men went up to the temple to pray. He's talking about the temple in Jerusalem. 
One, a Pharisee, that's the religious leader who studied the law of Moses and sought to live by the minute details of the written and the oral law in order to be righteous. And this is the same group of people who condemned others who didn't cross every T or dot every I like they thought you should. So two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other. And if you were writing this as a movie, you would hear a tax collector. And everybody go, what? No, not a tax collector. What's he doing going to the temple? That unholy, unrighteous, unscrupulous person. You see, in Jesus' day, tax collectors were the Jews in Israel who were working for the occupying empire known as Rome. And these tax collectors were told, in your area, we expect this quota of taxes. And the way you get paid is whatever you charge over and above that quota, you get to keep. And that whole system lent itself to all kinds of fraud and dishonesty. And tax collectors became very wealthy on the backs of other people who were having to pay more taxes than what they really owed. And because of they, were, they were unscrupulous and because they were hanging out with Gentiles, they were considered unclean, spiritually speaking, and good, upstanding Jews wouldn't have anything to do with those kind of people. And yet this guy showed up at church one day. And it was a scandal. Verse 11 in Luke chapter 18, Jesus continued the story. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. This guy was pretty confident in his self-righteousness. And he condemned the tax collector. Verse 13, Jesus says, But the tax collector, standing far off, he was, he was so overwhelmed with his own sin, he didn't feel worthy to approach God and worship. Standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus said, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified. The tax collector. He's the one who left church that day right with God rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And do you know why Jesus told us this parable? Luke chapter 18 verse 9. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. That's why he told the story. That's why he is condemning judgmentalism that is hypocritical. People who trust in their own self-righteousness while condemning other people. That is what Jesus is referring to when he says judge not lest you be judged. And we're so quick to do this, aren't we? We're so quick to make ourselves look good and to try to make others look as bad as possible. We, we, we ascribe the best motives to our behaviors even when we fall short, but we assume the worst in other people whenever we see them sinning or struggling. That's why Jesus, I love the way Jesus taught. He, he often used parables and stories and object lessons to get his point across, and he does that back in Matthew chapter 7. Go back to Matthew 7 and look at verse 3. Jesus asked this question 
to those who trust in themselves and condemn others as judges. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Jesus says, I've got a question for you. You judges, you folks who are hypocritical and judgmental and self-righteous. And why is it that you've got the, you think you've got the capacity to see a small speck of sawdust in your brother's eye? Have you ever gotten something in your eye, by the way? That happened to me just the other day. I'm minding my own business, sitting in my recliner, which I am wont to do. And as I'm sitting there, all of a sudden I just feel some irritant in my eye. And it took days for that to, uh, to get out of my eye. It's something so small, I couldn't see it. I look in the mirror, I tried my best to find, is this an eyelash, is this a piece of dust, dirt, debris? What is in my eye that is causing me such grief? But I couldn't see it. Finally, I guess it just washed out. And Jesus says, why is it that you can see a speck in your brother's eye, but you don't see the piece of wood sticking out of your own? That's what he's talking about. He's talking about a plank. He's talking about a piece of lumber that would be used in constructing a home. Something much bigger than this. And Jesus is using this hyperbole to get their attention to say, this is what you're like whenever you judge other people hypocritically and without mercy. You are like someone who spotted a speck in your brother's eye, while you're ignoring this two-by-four. This is not a two-by-four. My wife told me that. You're ignoring the two-by-four in your own eye. I couldn't find a two-by-four at home. Too expensive. That's exactly right. I couldn't afford it. You know, there's a story that illustrates this perfectly. People that see a speck in someone else's eye and ignore the glaring sin in their own life. It was King David the king of Israel, in that lowest moment of his life, morally and spiritually speaking, where he had committed adultery. Actually, he had abused his position of power and sexually abused Bathsheba, one of his own subjects. When he finds out she is pregnant, he wants to cover his sin. So he has her husband killed in battle. And then he takes Bathsheba as his own wife, hoping everyone will think that her child is, is now legitimately his and not otherwise. And he goes on like this, trying to hide and cover his sin, where God finally sent a prophet, a man of God named Nathan, to tell King David a story. He said, King, let me tell you about a, a rich man in your kingdom. He's got a big herd of sheep. Man, he's so wealthy, he doesn't know what to do with all of his money. And next door to this wealthy man lives this poor man. Now, in contrast to the wealthy man with all of his herds of sheep, this poor man only has one little ewe lamb. And he loved that little ewe lamb like it was his own family member. You know, pets can become like your family. And you know, some guests showed up at the rich man's home but he didn't want to take one of his own sheep to feed his guests. So you know what he did? King, he went and took. He stole that poor man's one and only sheep. He slaughtered it and fed his guest with it. And when David heard that, not thinking this is some parable, thinking this is true life, David says, that man deserves to die. 
and fourfold ought to be restored to the man he stole from. And in that moment, the prophet of God says, you are that man. You took what wasn't yours. But do you see how easy it was for David to see the speck in someone else's eye, ignoring the beam in his own eye? The speck versus the massive log in his own eye. And Jesus says, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Verse 4, Jesus continues, Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is the log in your own eye? Many years ago, I had to go to an, an eye doctor because I had gotten something in my eye, and it actually, uh, the alkaline had burnt the top layer of skin off of my eyeball. Uh, and, and I had to preach on Easter Sunday morning in excruciating pain before I could get an appointment to see the eye doctor. And, and I don't know if you've noticed something about me, but I'm, I'm kind of an emotional kind of guy. And sometimes I'm preaching along, and I'll, man, I'm talking about Jesus. I'm going to tear up a little bit. And every time I would do it, it would burn like nobody's business. And people, you guys just thought I was even more tearful than normal. Bless his heart. He's just so touched by his own sermon. No, my eye was killing me. It was killing me. In fact, whenever the eye doctor put dye in my eye and he looked at it, he, he, he leaned back in his chair and he says, whoa. He said, I'm amazed you're not rolling in the floor in pain. I said, I'm trying not to. He put a little bit of medicine in my eye that, that dulled it and immediate relief came. He said, is your wife here? And I said, yeah. He said, I'm going to get her. I want her to see this. And he brought her in to look at my eye. I could not imagine this doctor wanting to do such delicate work on my eye, walking into that room with something massively sticking out of his own eye, where he cannot see clearly to do what he needs to do to help me. If you, if you come at me trying to help me with that in your own eye and you can't see clearly, you are going to do more damage to me than good. And that's what too many church members and too many Christians and too many religious people try to do. We try to fix the ills of society or our neighbor all the while ignoring our own hang-ups and faults and sins. And we end up doing more damage than good. You can't see to help someone else because of the problem you have in your own life. Jesus says in verse 5, you hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye and then you will clearly then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now now listen, Jesus is not saying don't ever confront another person about a lifestyle or a sinful choice or behavior that is harming them. And I know that's when people want to throw it back in your face, don't judge me, bro. As if to shut you down and then you just have to step away. No, Jesus invites us to help each other. But he says, don't do it hypocritically. you got to first do it honestly by dealing with your own stuff. Before you can then be in a position to help other people. You're never going to be perfect this side of heaven. But you got to deal with the glaring sin in your own heart before you can truly deal with another person with the sin in theirs. There's going to come a time you need to help somebody with what they're struggling with. But they're going to shut you down if they spot hypocrisy in your life. 
And that's the point Jesus is making, is you've got to honestly deal with your own sin. And then you're going to be in a position to help other people with their sin. You know, when I'm honest and when you're honest about our own sinful lives, you know what it does? It makes us humble. It makes us realize it's not just people out there who need God's grace. I need it desperately every day. It's not just people out there who need to be shown mercy rather than condemnation. There are so many times in my life God would be justified to condemn me, but he's merciful to me instead. When I deal honestly with the sin in my life, it, it brings up a well of compassion for other people because I see how compassionate God has been and is being with me. And Jesus says, that's the way I want my people to operate. Love each other. But rather than being judgmental, be humble as you help yourself 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 humbly seek to be right with God and then we're going to be in a position to help other people. I tell you, I'm grateful that there are people who are willing to do that. To rather than being judgmental, be humble to help themselves and help others. If you know anything about Celebrate Recovery, a, a support group that is a 12-step recovery group based on the principles of Christ, based on the Beatitudes of Jesus, right here in in the beginning of this sermon, you'll discover that Celebrate Recovery is not a group of people who condemn you. It's a group of people who've been where you are and who have seen the grace and mercy and patience of God in their own life. And now they want to help other people experience the same thing. Maybe the question for us this week should be, have I been so focused on the speck of something in another person's life that I have failed to see the problem in my own life. And maybe this week the homework is, I need to deal with some of my own stuff. I want to help people, but I need to deal with my own stuff before I'm able to really help another person. I don't need anyone else to excuse this in my eye. I don't need to make excuses for it. Well, this is the new fashion. I'm just ahead of the trend. You just watch. One day, everybody will be walking around like this. That's what we sometimes do. We want to excuse our sin, rename it. That's, that's not a beam of wood. That's my personal freedom. That's my identity. No, it's a sin. And I need to deal with it. And I need to submit it to the will of God. And when I come to Him in repentance and sorrow, you know what I find from Him? Mercy, grace, patience, forgiveness, long-suffering. I find all of that from him. And when God helps me experience that, I'm now in a position to help other people with what they're going through. Some of you need to hear me today. You've been trying to shut some people down in your life who are just trying to help you. I'll never go back to that church. I don't like that sermon. Your pastor was just trying to help you. I'm moving out of my home because I don't want to live under my parents' roof anymore. Your parents are just trying to help you. And you throw up at their face, don't judge me. They're not judging you. They've been where you're headed. They know where this road leads. 
Nothing good's coming out of that. You're only going to hurt yourself. And out of love and compassion and concern, they just want to help you. They're not perfect. They know that. That's why they call out on Jesus all the time, because they know they need him. They're just trying to help you. And maybe today God brought you to this place or you're watching this message today because you need to stop thinking that everybody who disagrees with you is judging you. No, some of those people who are talking to you love you. And they want what's best for you. And they've experienced the grace and mercy of God in their own sinful lives and their own messes. And they just want to help you to miss some of that or to get out of some of that. And whenever you come to Jesus you'll find that he is the one who said in John 3, 16. See how I did that? It's like putting a bow on the present, right? I started with that. I'm going to end up with that. Jesus said in John 3, 16, For God so loved the world, he loves you, that he gave his only begotten son, that's Jesus, that whoever believes in him, that means you, whoever you are, whatever you've done, however bad you think you are, if you'll simply put your confidence in Jesus, you will not perish in your sin, but have everlasting life. And Jesus continued, by the way, I don't usually quote it, but he continued, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in the name of the Son of God is not condemned. If you want freedom, forgiveness, come to Jesus. But whoever doesn't believe is condemned already because they've not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Friend, come to Jesus if you've never done that. Come to him and let him be your Lord and your Savior. For those of you who have already done that, come back to him. And remember, you still need his grace and his mercy and his compassion for the stuff in your own life. And then ask God to redeem your pain and your problems and your hang-ups and your hurts and help you to use all of that to help other people in their journey along the way. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you and praise you for this day. Thank you for this reminder from Jesus that rather than being judgmental, we are to be humble as we help ourselves by obeying you and submitting our lives to you and as we help other people. There is a place, there's a time, and there is a way to help other people. And it doesn't mean judging and condemning them and writing them off and casting them away. It doesn't mean coming at them with hate, but rather coming at them with love. It doesn't mean coming at them with condemnation, but coming at them with concern. And it doesn't mean coming at them hypocritically as if we're better than them. It means coming to them honestly, that we are all sinners in need of a Savior, recipients of grace and mercy and forgiveness. So dear Lord Jesus, would you, through the power of your Holy Spirit, help us to be humble as we help ourselves and we help others as we walk with you. And if there's someone today who needs Jesus as Savior, let this be the moment they turn from their sin, believe in him, asking for his forgiveness and trusting in him that he will keep his promise that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And friend, if you've made that decision, if you need to take a step towards Jesus, let someone know that today so we can rejoice with you and pray with you. Let us know in the comments section if you're online or, or on our website. Or if you're in the room, I'm going to be right here at the front at the end of this service. As soon as your legs straighten up, why don't you come to the front and say to me, Hey, Ricky, today I just made a step 
in my spiritual journey with Jesus. Heavenly Father, have your perfect will and way in all of our lives today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.